Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I mean, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 988. Again today, I want to tell you about the easiest class I ever took in college. As a part of my college experience, I had to take a communications class for my degree, but since I had a pretty good uh, high school speech teacher, I didn't take the normal speech 101. Instead, I took a class called Mass Media and Communication. Now, to demonstrate how easy this class was, I will tell you that I finished the final in seven minutes. And I still got an A. Now, it helped that it was only 49 multiple choice, but the ease of that test and the speed at which I completed it is not a measure of my intellect, but rather a condemnation of the class. It was easy because of the content. There was no real need to study for this class, but because of the content of mass media, you didn't need to study it because you were living it. The challenge was not understanding because every day of my life and every day of our lives is filled with mass media. The class was literally a presentation of the culture in which we live every day. And so therefore, seven-minute final. But it's this idea of being immersed in our culture, intuitively knowing how to live and how to act and understanding what is around us. It's that idea what, that I want to use to understand our text in 1 Thessalonians today. I want to talk about the Christian life as a life culture. And by that I mean actions and mindsets that come as naturally to us as the culture in which we live. And I want you to see where God is directing your life culture according to the pattern found here in 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to be ready to evaluate where your life culture actually is in contrast to what you will read. Today in our text, Paul focuses on three major categories. Joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. And as we look at this list, we, we need to understand this is not an exhaustive list. This is not all that could be said. But I want you to see how those three categories of how we live need to be as second nature as the cultural norms that we abide by every day. So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, is this. Our life culture as followers of Jesus must be one of joy, thanksgiving, and prayer. Now, as with last week, this is a part of this end part of 1 Thessalonians where, where Paul is giving these quick, concise commands, and on, the, on one level, they're pretty simple to understand. 
They're pretty straightforward. Where the challenge comes is actually obeying and living out these commands. So let's first look, verse 16, very long verse, and we're going to see a culture of joy. Verse 16, try to follow along as I read. Rejoice always. Good job, you guys survived it. Now here and in the following two categories, we need to understand a little bit of hyperbole. This idea of all the time is a sense and not literally possible, but the hyperbole helps us to understand the regularity and the consistency that we are to have as being joyful people. That we should be known as joyful people. That it is a central part of everyday life, of every moment we are pursuing and exuding joy. But then the natural question comes, how do I rejoice always? What is the basis for my joy that is stable and is there every moment? To to rejoice in every single part of life needs to be on a solid foundation that is there at every moment of our life, or else we cannot obey this command to continual joy. So for our purposes today, let's go back to the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. Again, more could be said, but I'm going to focus here on the other parts where joy is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That the salvation we have in Christ is a source of joy. And again, the solid nature of that basis of joy, that that when we are saved, we are saved by Jesus. It is not something we need to upkeep every day with our performance. And so when we understand that we have been saved from our sin and given the hope of eternal life, that can be a consistent source of joy in our lives. Related to that, the other time joy is used in 1 Thessalonians is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So in these two verses, we see that our own salvation is a source of joy We see in a reference to the return of Christ that the promise that Christ will return to judge the world and to take us with him to eternal life is a source of joy. And also the salvation of others is a source of joy. But you see in those three aspects of these are things that remain true. They are true every moment of the day. And so on the basis of that, we can live every moment of day with joy. There is joy in knowing that we who are sinners undeserving of God's grace are forgiven and reconciled to God. 
There is joy in that our salvation finds its completion when Jesus returns. And there is joy in that God is always in the business of bringing others to salvation. When this is the source of our joy, we can truly rejoice always. We can rejoice in any circumstance. We have a solid foundation upon which to stand in joy. The other thing that needs to be said as we understand this verse is that sometimes joy looks different depending on the circumstance. Okay? The misnomer would be that if I'm joyful always, I have to pretend that bad things didn't happen. And so we need to understand that sometimes being joyful is having our joy temper our grief. One author puts it this way, the apostles never encouraged believers to deny that adversity brings sadness and grief, but they recognize that in the midst of the most agonizing situations, the presence of God through his spirit can infuse the soul with hope and the heart with joy. Just as we read earlier, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we, we do not moan as, mourn as those who have no hope, we also mourn as those who have joy. But we do not naturally want to live lives of joy. Think how much easier it is to live a life of pessimism or of a critical spirit. If you're not convinced of this, let me introduce you to the internet. But what are we called to do? We are called not to wallow in the mud of these mindsets, but we are called to joy. We are to persevere in living with joy in every aspect of our lives. And this is what he means when he says, rejoice always. That over time it becomes that natural reflex. It becomes second nature. It becomes as natural as the cultural norms in which we live. The second category that Paul talks to us in these verses is a culture of prayer in verse 17. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Again, the hyperbole of all the time helps us to understand the continuous and regular nature of prayer. And I must admit that every time I read this, I'm taken back to high school, where my mom was one of the youth leaders, and for whatever reason, they combined my small group with her small group. And my mom and I got into a little theological fight over what it meant to pray without ceasing. I'm pretty sure I won, but you may want to talk to her about who won that argument. And while this passage reminds me of my angsty teenage years, the idea of praying without ceasing is something that is so important for us to understand as we go through the everyday moments of our lives. 
Praying without ceasing is not a command to always be muttering some prayer, but that every single day and at all different times, we are praying as a natural part of our life. Again, one author about this writes, Prayers, Prayer was not to be limited to prescribed hours, but should rather be a common and constant element in their daily life. That's the goal. That for you, prayer is a common and constant element. Now, for most of us, it begins by generally setting aside times for prayer. That it's good to have normal times of prayer in your life. But at the same time, Again, that prayer becomes second nature so that at every moment we turn to the Lord in prayer. The healthy prayer life is one of planning, but also that prayer is not the last resort. And I think that's something we can all relate to. Are we quick to prayer or are we slow to prayer? Does it come to a point where it gets so bad that, oh, I haven't even prayed about this? Again, we want a culture of prayer that in every moment, in every hour, prayer is the first thing we think of, not the last. Does prayer come naturally? Is prayer a part of our life culture. Again, looking back through 1 Thessalonians, we see in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Many religions have prayer as a part of their system. But many are limited to times of prayer, set times and set prayers. But what God is calling us to is more than that. Is that yes, you may, as a discipline, have set aside times where you are engaged in prayer. But more than that, you are going to prayer throughout the day. Chapter 3, verse 10, most earnestly, night and day, meaning any time of day, you could be in prayer. And again, building it into our lives that it becomes second nature, and that we don't forget about it when we need it. We see this repeated by Paul in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. One of the important things we need to see in that verse, adding to our verse today, is that this is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. That he empowers your prayer life that he helps you in your prayers. He empowers us and guides us to regularly come before God in prayer. 
If there are enemies of joy, there are also enemies of prayer. How often do we worry instead of using that energy for prayer? We clutch our pearls or wring our hands. How often do we complain instead of using that energy for prayer? Through intentionality and a softness to stop and pray, we must be people of prayer. Thirdly, we see the third category in verse 18, a culture of giving thanks. Verse 18, giving thanks in all circumstances. As followers of Jesus, we are to be known by our thankfulness. This primarily begins with being thankful to God, but secondarily, being thankful to others and what they have done. Again, this idea of culture, of it being there all the time, that we are known, that we present ourselves as people of thankfulness. Again, earlier in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1-2, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 2-13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Part of giving thanks in all circumstances is recognizing just how much we have to be thankful for. Think about this. Paul gives thanks to God for the Thessalonians that simply the existence of Thessalonian believers is enough for Paul to express thanks to God. Think how in some ways that is so small. Just that there is a church in the town of Thessalonica prompts Paul to thank God. Even the small things are worth being thankful for. And sometimes it's just taking that time to recognize just how much we have and how much we have to be thankful for. Now, if I mentioned my mom earlier in, in theological fights, I have to mention my dad for equal coverage. But my dad is the king of thanking people. Some of you have probably been thanked, and you walk away, and like, I don't know what I did. My dad will thank you for anything and everything and mean it. Now, again, you go back to Jim and my siblings as teenagers. We were quick because we were angsty. We were quick to point out, God, Dad, why are you thanking that person? They didn't do anything. But looking back, you can appreciate better how it made those people feel. People liked actually being around my dad because he would thank them for the smallest thing. What angsty teens found objectionable, others found encouraging. And again, the, the rightness of the thanking misses the point. You're expressing gratitude to another person. 
And how much better to be known? Again, having that as your default setting. Having that as your reflex to be thankful. Think how much our culture fights against that. The enemies of thankfulness, of bitterness, of coveting, of greed. And how that is such a part of our natural hearts and our culture. How refreshing it is to be someone known for being thankful. And you think about it in your own life. Do you want to be around someone full of gratitude or full of greed? Who's always trying to keep up with the Joneses or is thankful for what they have? And the idea of in all circumstances is that it is a natural outflowing of our lives, that we almost don't even have to think about it. And that's the standard that God is calling us to today. Let me mention also quickly that the other enemy here is pride. And this is a sneaky one because we like the idea of everything I have I earned. Or everything I have is because I worked hard. And we have a pride when we look at all that we have instead of recognizing, no, every good and perfect gift is from above. Yes, you worked hard. Yes, you earned some things. But even those are gifts from God. Underscoring these three categories of life culture in these verses is the end of verse 18. Now before the septic system got overloaded at Camp Casey, this would have tied in nicely to the men's retreat. Sort of planned, but not really. But here we talk about God's will for our life. And I want you to see at the end of verse 18 how Paul describes God, what God wants from you. What's his will for your life? Look at the second part of verse 18 with me. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Living out these commands, having a life that is one of joy and prayer and thankfulness is what... God wants from us. This is his will for our lives. Sometimes when we talk about what is God's will for our lives, we we minimize it to the decisions we have to make. And I've talked about this in previous weeks in 1 Thessalonians, but here we see again a broader category given to this idea of what is God's will for my life. What is God's will for your life? Live joyfully, live a life of prayer, and live with thankfulness. I can do that and make decision A versus decision B. There's a broader, more important category. The Christian life is not about guessing which way God wanted you to decide. Because if I decide A or B, I can still live a life of joy, thankfulness, and prayer. 
sometimes we get a tunnel vision on one particular thing. And when we do that, we miss the broader categories, the broader, more important pattern of life. Sometimes we would rather know the future and see the future, which we will never do. You will never know the future. But you can always live a life of joy, prayer, and thankfulness. What does God want for you? Verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Take these mindsets, take these actions of joy, prayer, and thankfulness and make them second nature. Make them as natural as the air you breathe every day or the fact that you put forks on your dinner table. This is God's will for your life. A couple points of application as we close up this morning. The first is honestly what I just said, that a life culture of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving is what God wants for your life. These are bigger goals than we normally have or think of. These are bigger ideas that are more important and should guide those decisions that we have to make. Don't miss the forest for the trees. God's will for your life is a life of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Number two, a life culture of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving takes intentional time. For some, this means planning out specific times to pray or thinking specifically of how God has blessed us, or focusing on the joy we have through Christ. And for some, this intentionality means slowing down or pausing so that we can be joyful, have prayer, and be thankful. Again, there is an intentionality that we need to live these out, that over time they become a natural, almost reflexive part of our lives. And that's point number three there, application number three. The goal of this type of life is that these disciplines become second nature. The way that we live in our culture is often done without giving it a second thought. I was thinking about this recently because, as you guys know, my parents were visiting my sister overseas in Africa. And one of the pictures they sent was of a meal. First of all, no chairs. And so I had to think, yeah, our culture, we use chairs at mealtime. No tables. No forks. Men in one room, women in another. Now again, if I asked you to picture dinner, you'd probably have a table and chairs. In your mind, you'd probably have some sort of silverware, and you'd probably picture everyone eating together. Why? Because it comes natural. It's a part of our culture. In the same way, a life of joy and prayer and thanksgiving need to be that same natural behavior that we exude in all times and in all places. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word. God, that by the power of your spirit, as redeemed people bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that we would strive every day and at every moment to live lives of joy, prayer, and thankfulness. That we can have joy because of our salvation and the hope of eternal life that you were always available for prayer and that we can be thankful because of every good thing you have given us. God, that we would have these disciplines be a normal, everyday, cultural part of our life and that you would, by your Spirit, transform us to live this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.